Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, March the 26th, 2022. It is currently 3.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, if you were to look on the Church One app, and if you were to go to series, in fact, let me just open up the Church One app for you just to show you. Well, I mean, I can't show you, but just to explain it. If you if you go to the Church One app and you, you're on the Home tab, and if you go over, see, if you, uh, yeah, well, if you go to Recent Series, if, you, if you're on the Home tab and you scroll all the way down, you'll see something saying Recent Series, and then you can hit See All. And it will show you all of our different series, all the different series that we do. And one of the series we do is called Eye on Christianity. And this is a series where anything that kind of, any look at kind of what's going on in the world of Christianity, what's going on in the church, we usually put those broadcast in that, that, that series, in that section called Eye on Christianity. Right now, sometimes I may do something that shows up in a different section. I'm like, well, maybe it belongs there. I'm always trying to decide which section to put something. But I on Christianity currently has 97 live broadcast right there, where we take some time to look at what's going on in the world of Christianity. I think it's I think it's important because. Every Christian needs to know what's happening in Christianity because sometimes you just see what's going on, maybe in your own little bubble of Christianity. Your church, your Christian friends, you may hear a couple of things coming from the outside, and you may have an impression, an idea of where Christianity is going, what's happening in Christianity, but it's simply based on your little bubble. So I'm always challenging people, look outside that bubble, listen to Christian podcasts, all different kinds, ones you agree with, ones you disagree with, keep up with what's going on. Because it kind of it can show you where there's some weaknesses, where there's some dangers in Christianity, so that you can beware of them. But another thing it does, it gives you insight into where Christianity is headed, right? You, you've got to know where Christianity is today to figure out where it's going. And a lot of Christians don't have a very good idea of where Christianity currently is, so therefore they have no real insight in where it's going. But I do my best to turn on the microphone and to try to help you see where it's going and to see where it is currently. And that's what we're going to do on this Saturday afternoon. We are going to talk about where Christianity is, and this may give us some insight into the very near future. All right, so here's what I did. I grabbed, I had a number of news articles. I've got the news articles ready. Okay, I'm going to close the Church One app. I've got, uh, how many news articles here? I've got at least... um, I've got, I've got, I've got, I got about 17 open right now, but we're not going to look at all of them. I've got two major articles I'm going to use for this particular episode. We may come back to a, uh, do another episode on one of these articles because I'm really perplexed. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely try to talk about that uh, sometime today. But based off these articles, I, I came up here to where I broadcast and I grabbed my journal. I grabbed a pencil and I wrote down three things. Three things, and here are three issues I think that are that is facing, and I cannot speak to the global church, I cannot speak to those outside of the United States of America, but at least here in America, I think there are three very important issues facing the church right now, okay? And I know some of you are going to say, I bet you he's going to say critical race theory, and don't even get me started on that. 
I, I know there are Christians who disagree with me. I do not think critical race theory is a threat to the church. I do not. I, I, I still don't under, I, to me, that is such a distraction. It is so, oh, don't even get me started, but it's not on my list. Okay. Here are the three things that I think are facing the church right now as we speak. Number one, the redefining of Christianity. What do I mean by that? I think Christianity is is systematically being redefined, and it's being defined more along political lines. It's being redefined almost as a, a basically political ideology is really becoming the definition of Christianity. There's this political hijacking of the church that the church is becoming less theological and more political. It's becoming less theological and more ideological. The church is now being defined by your stance on cultural issues, right? What is your stance on critical race theory? What is your stance on Joe Biden? What is your stance on, uh, you know, the Democratic Party? And so you get, well, I, I, we, we, I, I could try to find the audio clip of it. Let's just say a very famous pastor saying that if you don't vote for Trump, you're probably not a Christian, or I think he may have gone even so far to say you're not a Christian. That is a redefining of Christianity. Christi- your, Christianity is not defined by who you vote for. Christianity is based off who Jesus Christ is and our belief in him. See, that, that's, a, that's a complete redefining in fact, what I say, it's a re, it's, it's writing historical Christianity out of existence. And what's going to be there is going to be this mutated hybrid of, yeah, a little bit of Bible, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of theology, and a lot of, you know, culture war, political ideology, political identity. And it's just, this is a major issue. This is a major, major, major issue and we've got to stand against it, and we've got to eradicate and remove the political hijacking, and we've got to erase these re- redefining, this redefinitions of Christianity. We have to get rid of them. And of course, there's a, the book that we are currently studying at our church, that we've only kind of got just basically a, um, a, 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 a just, we just kind of basically got started, is the book of Jude, and we read these words. Jude verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. There is the faith, and that faith has to be defined. If we don't have a clear definition of the faith, People will redefine the faith, and you're thinking you're still in it, but what you are holding on to is no longer the faith. It's a new faith. It's a redefined faith. This is So we are living in an age where definitions are super important. We have to define, no, this is the faith. I don't know what you're doing. No, you're bringing something else in. You're trying to redefine it. You're trying to rewrite it. That's that. We've got to take a stand against this redefining of the faith and this redefining of Christianity. And it's being redefined, again, along political and ideological lines. It's not, this is not really a battle. In a sense, this is, some people say, well, there's all kinds of false teaching out there. I'm not denying the false teaching. What I'm looking for is what's happening to Christianity is political ideology that may appear to be friendly to biblical Christianity 
is literally be, the, the political ideology which appears to be friendly to Christianity is really the thing replacing Christianity. And so now it's Christianity is nothing more than a political movement. It's a cultural movement. It's a, it's a movement of morality. It's a movement of conservative political thought. And biblical Christianity is being wiped off the face of the earth. I continue to stand my ground on that. I believe that is what's happening. And I know every, I know most, you'll, you'll look at everyone's blaming, no, the liberals are the ones who's destroying it. The liberals are trying to redefine it. The liberals have been trying to redefine biblical Christianity forever. The, th- the new threat is it's coming from the conservative side. They are, the church is being used as a political pawn for, po- for political parties to gain power and influence at the expense of biblical Christianity, and Christianity is willingly allowing itself to be used, and that is a major problem. So that is issue number one. That is issue number one, the redefining of Christianity. Number two, attendance. This is a major issue facing churches all across the United States of America right now, the issue of attendance. Article after article is showing up basically saying, hey, look, church attendance is down all across the United States of America. Depending on the statistics, it's down this much, it's down this much. Everyone, here's just one example. Here's an article that was published uh, just last month, right? Just last month. Five reasons, five reasons your current church attendance is the new normal. Five reasons your current church attendance is the new normal. Let's just read a little bit of what they have here. Many church leaders and church members share with me that they are looking forward to the day when everyone is back attending church like they were before the pandemic. Sadly, for most churches, That is simply not going to be a reality. I understand that there will be differences according to context, but it is largely true. My thesis, according to the author of this article, my thesis is not meant to be fatalistic. I'm hopeful that you will take your current church attendance as your base or new normal and seek God's power to grow the church from there. I see this new normal as an opportunity rather than a defeat. So why is your church attendance a new normal? Here are the five most common reasons we found. Now, before I get into this, throughout the country, church attendance was already declining. Then the pandemic hit. The pandemic hit, there were many churches moved from in-person to online uh, services. Many were condemned for doing that. Others held in-person services, no matter what the rules were or were not. In many cases, that caused conflict and division within the church. Now, some of these churches actually grew. There's always exceptions, but in many cases, it just systematically, all of these problems, church attendance was already going down. Then you have basically the pandemic and all of the issues that arose from the pandemic. And when we kind of started crawling out of that, what everyone turned around and looked and saw is that a lot of people left and a lot of people aren't coming back. And we, we were watching this take place during the pandemic because we were noticing that there's, there were statistics of how many people were, were literally changing their membership during a pandemic, which in some ways, it, 
Look, people people need to be free to go whenever they want. I don't I'm not one of those who tried to tries to beg people to stay, manipulate people to stay. You want to go, there's the door because typically trying to manipulate or trying to convince someone to stay usually is just detrimental for everyone involved. They clearly want to leave, you try to keep them there. In many cases those issues that are really driving them out are not going to be changed and they're just going to become bitter and it just ends up causing problems. But I I I do have to say that from a pastoral perspective, it just seems pretty messed up that when churches are facing some of the, mo- the mo- some of the most difficult circumstances, no matter what decision you make, someone's not going to be unhappy. You're, I mean, you're trying to figure it all out. And while you're trying to figure it all out, while pastors are trying to navigate this whole pandemic thing and what's going to happen and what should we do, people are like, I'm sorry, peace out. I saw a better, I saw a better church online. I was listening to a better church online. I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're gone. We're gone. We're gone. We're gone. And it's like, you couldn't just stick it out until at least the pandemic was over. But we were watching those trends and well, people started leaving. Not only did people leave, a lot of people were like, I'm still a part of the church, but I'm never coming back. And we started watching that. And here's the reasons they give this is all occurring. Number one, the habit of attendance has been broken. Gathering with fellow believers is a spiritual discipline. Not that different from prayer or reading the Bible. Once you get out of the habit, it is difficult to return. And there's no denying that. Now, we would like to think, but we're Christians, and we're committed, and we're dedicated, and we, we love Jesus, and we love God, and we're not like those, those horrible people in the world. But when you get down to it, the church is always very much like the people in the world, very much, on a practical level, very much like the people in the world. And a lot of people are like, well, I haven't been to church in six months, and everything's good to go, so I, I'm just going to continue the way I'm going. So a lot of people, the habit's been broken and they're just not going to go back. They, they decided that they're perfectly okay not going. And that's a reality. You, you, can, you can try to deny it. You can condemn it. You can rail against it, but it is a reality. And what does that mean for the church? Well, let, let's just see where we go with this. Number two, if someone has not returned by this point, they're, they're likely not coming back. Simply stated, these per- these persons are out of the habit. In most areas, they have plenty of time to return. They are now part of part of the growing de-churched movement. There is an entire movement called the de-churched movement. They left, and they're not coming back. And there's very little you can do about it. They're just they've moved on. They're they're done with the whole in-person service, getting up and going to church. They're the de-church movement. Doesn't mean that in in many cases that they've like renounced their faith. They're going to still say they believe the Bible, still believe in Jesus, still be studying the Bible, praying, but they're just kind of done with church. And that's going to be an interesting, like that's an interesting development right now. And it's an interesting development moving forward. There's going to be many Christians, many professing Christians who are going to no longer be a part of a local in-person congregation. Now, some will immediately say, well, they're not Christian. They're not Christian. I, you can't. I don't think that's fair. I think we're going to have to go, well, all right, how, what, what does that mean? All right, so the habit is broken, and some, if someone has not returned by this point, they're probably not coming back. Number three, many who say they're now digital attendees have really dropped out. I was speaking to a friend recently who said she now attends church digitally. She really likes being able to attend the service in her casual clothes or pajamas. 
I then asked her how long it has been since she viewed a service. She sheeplessly admitted it had been about three months. She is representative of a new and growing group I call the inactive digitals. So you have the de-churched movement, and then you're going, now we're going to have a group called the inactive digitals. These are people who went to church, they kind of become the de-churched, that they're going to like, I'm going to go to church digitally, I'm going to go online, and then they become the inactive digitals. Because guess what? Oh, what, you know, uh, it's time to listen to the service online. Well, well, I got this to do, I got this to do. And just little by little, you become further and further removed from any spiritual food. And it's just, you go from the de-church to the inactive digital. That, that's where we're going. Number four, if someone, now this is very important. And this is where I will always, we, we could have a couple of hours of conversation here. If someone was not connected in a small group, they're likely not returning. Take note of those who are currently attending. Look at your records to see who has not returned. I bet you you will find a strong correlation between small group involvement before the pandemic and in-person worship attendance today. We are certainly seeing that reality in the thousands of churches that connect with the people who wrote this article. Now, that's this is interesting. I've always been somewhat perplexed by this. I've never quite truly understood it. Um... And this is one of those things that's obviously there's been statistics to prove this, the effectiveness of small groups, but I'm always the one that just did not get it. I've never quite understood the whole small group thing. I've never understood it. Like, because, all right, here's, here's my issue. All right. First, just the logistics of some small groups never made sense to me. Right. I worked with people who went to these churches who small group, small group, small group, small group. So sometimes the logistics made no sense to me. This is how it worked for many of the people who described it to me. So let's say it's a Tuesday night or a Thursday night. Some churches got rid of their Wednesday night services so they could do small groups. So, so here you have, you have a church building where you've got classrooms, you got a sanctuary, you may have a fellowship hall, all the different things you have. But instead of going there to meet, no, 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 you're going to meet in homes. All right, so here's what would happen. People who had children who needed like a nursery or something, they would dr- go to the church drop off drop off drop off the kids either to the nursery or to a children's ministry or to the youth group then from the church they would drive to who, whoever's house was whoever whichever family their house who was hosting the small group for that particular night they would attend the small group then drive back to the church pick up the children then drive back home and i would be like that is the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard in my life why wouldn't you just Go to church. I mean, you, you just, why wouldn't you just go to church, walk into the sanctuary and hear the teaching of God's word? But people would would just, I mean, it, they would almost not swear as in cussing, but swear like this is the truth. This is like I'm take, they're taking an oath that the small group is the most important thing in their Christian life and their Christian development. They need their small group. They need it. It's, it they develop relationships and connections and and and. And, and just the logistics of it, I'd be like, so you're spending all of this money on that building and you're going to forego the building, even though you're going to be using the building for daycare so that then you can go to someone's house. And then, so, so the logistics of it never made sense. Number two, the second thing that didn't make sense to me is typically when I would try to get to the bottom of what are you doing in your small group that's so absolutely the most amazing thing you've ever heard, 
it always sounded like, well, we got food. We have to have snacks. We may sing or t- a song or two. We may take prayer requests. And then we'll do, we'll do some study. And then a lot of times we'll spend a little time for what they would call quote unquote fellowship. And when I would like, okay, so what did you learn? Like, what, what, what was the study? And it, almost universally, I'm like, that, that's, that's the big study. That, that's, and so what I found out, it really wasn't about study. It was about developing friendships, developing relationships. So I'm like, so you really weren't there to be fed the word of God. Even though you did that, you really were more felt you were there to develop these other things. And that for many became absolutely essential. So it would make sense to me that if you had a small group and people were very much connected to this group, that they would they would come back to church because they're still connected to that group. So does that prove that small groups are absolutely necessary? Some would say yes. And it appears, I think in some ways, maybe we're going to see almost a resurgence of the call for small groups. I mean, many churches act like, look, if you don't have a small group, you're not part of a small group. It's the end of the world. I, I've, ne- I've never quite understood the whole small group thing. Again, the logistics of it doesn't make sense. And just, I'm just like, wait, I, I don't see in the Bible where the church is called to be providing a place that you can develop friendships. It's, it's supposed to be there to equip you for the, for the work of ministry. So I, I'm not seeing the small groups are, are, I don't know. I don't. And then I've seen small groups turn into major issues where you basically have uh, small groups go renegade and they are almost that like they're a part of the church, but they're almost going against what the church is teaching. I've seen, I've seen it. It's just really, I don't know. I, I'll never quite understand but here we have another argument that, hey, if, they, if you had small groups, those people are coming back. If you didn't have small groups, there's a chance they won't come back. And it's just, you, you, you can draw your own conclusions. You can draw your own conclusions about that, right? And then lastly, many of the dropouts were already on the fringes. The pandemic accelerated the, the pace for them to become a dropout. It likely would have happened anyway. While we certainly would not advocate abandoning all contact with these recently de-churched people, we would encourage you to look where the harvest fields are ripe, to use Jesus' metaphor. Yes, it can be discouraging to see numbers drop out, but the opportunities are great. So according to them, there's your, 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 your current church attendance, it's the new normal. And it's one, because the habit has been broken. Number two, if someone hasn't returned, hey, they're not coming back. So you can just probably just give up hope on that. Number three, many who, uh, and they become a part of the de-churched. And then many who say they're now digital attendees are actually now the inactive digitals. And then number four, if someone wasn't connected to a small group, they're probably not coming back. So in other words, the small group connection is the key to getting them back to church which is interesting. And number five, many of the dropouts were already on the fringes and this just accelerated it and they're not coming back. They're not coming back. Now, what many, (laughs) it's always weird the differences in perspective here. Sometimes those in the pew will be like, well, okay, well, that's fine. If we're small, it's all wonderful. It's all great. But you don't understand the financial stress that can create in the life of a church, especially if there's a, a bill, uh, you know, a, 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 
the building has to be paid for, like a month, you know, monthly mortgage payment on the building, whatever the case may be, just electricity, staff, just ministry. The, the, the smaller the group is, the, the, usually the greater the financial need will become. And this is having profound impact on churches. We've seen some very churches that are connected with major ministries have had to shut their doors, sell their property. Um, it's been absolutely crazy to see what has happened. I've read articles of churches that used to have 800 people, 1,000 people. After the pandemic, they were down to like 30 or 40 people. And finally, they were just like, we can't, we can't sustain this anymore and had to close their doors. And it's like absolutely crazy how this is, is playing out. But, but here's the danger. When the attendance thing becomes a problem, you're going to see, here's going to see, here's going to be some of the issues that arise from this, that's going to arise from this attendance crisis, if we can call it that, all right? Or we'll call it this attendance issue. Number one, the church in many cases will look for every trick, gimmick, everything they can come up with to increase the number. So in many cases, it... The lack of attendance will lead to compromise in trying to get the attendance back. In other words, the church will just come up with every means necessary, and and in many cases, they, it actually leads to, to major compromise. So that's problem number one. Problem number two. So one, it can lead to compromise. Number two, it can lead to abandonment. And I, say, I don't have a nicer word to say. What do I mean by abandonment? Well, pastors, I don't know if you realize this, their salaries— are dependent on, in many cases, the size of the church. Smaller the church, the less they can pay the pastor. Many pastors have families. Many pastors are trying to pay back school debt. They have bills. They may be trying to provide insurance for their family. In many cases, the church can't. Whatever the case may be, well, they're going to look around and go, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't support my family. Now, many of them will either have to try to try to get another job and be bivocational. Others are like, you know, I'm not going to do that to my family. And they're going to go look for another church. That's going to leave many churches without a pastor. The, the pastor's going to abandon them. Now, I can't, I hate that idea because I don't think a pastor should leave until they have found a replacement. But that's going to leave many churches without, without a human shepherd. So you're going to have compromise occurring, trying to get the numbers back up, or you're going to have abandonment. And I think these are all issues that are currently playing out right now as we speak on this Saturday afternoon. How it's going, what is it? I mean, for most places, everything's pretty much back to normal as far as how everyone is acting, what everyone is doing. Now, we do know there's a new variant of COVID going around. I don't know what it's going to do. I, think, well, I, think, I don't think we're going to see any major COVID issues through the summer. But once we return to winter, if we have a, let's just say we have another explosion of COVID that leads to major problems again. Let's just say that theoretically, hypothetically, let's say that happens. I don't know how many of these churches will survive another round of it. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what will take place. It would be it would be devastating. But I think many churches are going to have a very long summer trying to figure out how do we operate with this number being our new normal. How are we going to pay the bills? What are we going to do? What 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 new trick do we come up with to get people to come back? And it's going to lead to a lot of interesting developments. So we have this subject of attendance, attendance, all right? And now this leads to the third thing. So we have the redefining of the church. We have the attendance issue. We have the attendance issue. And then the third, we have this new thing, which has already been alluded to in this article, digital church, digital church. 
Now, I have an article here that talks about, now this is going to be connected to attendance. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go through this just so that you hear the information, but I may approach it from a different way. So, so we got the redefining of Christianity, which we've talked about a million times. We have this whole attendance thing, which is just raising, uh, it's going to raise lots of problems, lots of difficulties, and it just has to be discussed. And then the third thing, we have this new reality of what some are referring to as digital church. Now, I know immediately some people say, well, digital church is not real church. It doesn't really count. You're not, that, that's just, no, no, no. And then we'll condemn it and condemn it and condemn it. You can condemn it, but many of the people condemning it, you know how you heard them condemning it? Oh, yeah, via, quote, unquote, their digital ministry. So I love a lot, like, digital church is not church. Please tune into our podcast. Check out our YouTube page. Don't forget to subscribe. Click that bell. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Yo. You're utilizing the very thing you're condemning. But I know what they're trying to say. Hey, digital church is not really church. You need to be a part of a church. I understand what they're saying, but they're still providing the very, they're using the very technology which gives us the whole digital church culture. But one of the things a lot of, a lot of churches are struggling with right now is with this whole digital church reality, whether you agree with it or whether you disagree with it, Many are trying to figure out exactly how do we measure what we're doing with quote-unquote digital church. And there are those who are arguing it's getting confusing trying to, well, trying to figure out the attendance numbers or trying to figure out what you're doing with digital church, trying to figure out what you're doing. So here's what they have to say, according to this article. I absolutely love the opportunities for streaming worship services for people to be present digitally. It is both a ministry and a mission opportunity. I hope all churches are moving towards making these services available. There are really no cost barriers. Now, again, I find it fascinating that for many people, it took the pandemic for them to go, how do we get our sermons online? How? It's like... I. <laughs> We, we've been a little church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, with no money, and we started putting our sermons online, um, whoa, was it 2001? I think we started putting our sermons online in 2001, I think. And I couldn't have done it much earlier than that because I didn't become the pastor to around 2001. <laughs> so I couldn't, have, I couldn't have done it any earlier. Before that, I had a tape ministry where I sent tapes to people all over uh, the co country and all over the world at, at, for, at no cost to them. I always done everything for free. And uh, so, but I, it's just, it's just so weird that that's 2001. And all of a sudden it gets to 2019. You had churches like, how do we do this? How do we get things online? Many churches never even considered an online ministry. So it's just really weird. But, but now it's like, hey, this article is like, we think it's great and it's wonderful and many churches should do so. And there are really very little cost barriers. Considering of all the other things you can do in ministry, how much it may cost, online ministry is relatively inexpensive compared to everything else. Now, the challenges we're seeing is the confusing nature of digital attendance. Perhaps it's because we are still relatively early in the introduction of digital worship in most churches. Perhaps we will see more common practices that will bring clarity to both the counting and purpose of digital, uh, digital attendance. For now, here are five reasons digital attendance is confusing. Here's some things they have to say here. Number one, there are a myriads of ways to count digital attendance. One church counts anyone who happens to click on the service, even if it is for just a second or two. 
Another church counts those who stay at least five minutes. One church counts a visit or a click as one person. Another church counts the same click as two people, assuming that is the average uh, number of persons viewing from a particular screen. I bet most church members don't know uh, how the church counts digital attendance. So should you even count digital attendance? How do you count digital attendance? Does it matter? I've always felt, going way back to 2001, 2002, I tried, I used to, I would print out from whatever hosting site we were on at the time, kind of a report saying, here's how many people listen to us this month. Here's how many people listen to us this month. Now, the reason I did so is I wanted my church, because we were a little church in the middle of nowhere, to understand that, that even though we're little and we're in the middle of nowhere, that we should not think in a little way because we can have an influence way beyond the walls of a small church in the middle of Ovalo, Texas. We can reach people around the world. So I would show the numbers. I would show which states people listen to and the country. Now, I didn't, I didn't focus on, you know, what those numbers actually meant other than it meant that we were doing more, that, that what we see here is not the whole story of what we're trying to do from a ministerial standpoint. So I think those digital numbers are important in that way. I think people who attend a large church could care less. I think someone who attends a church where there's a thousand people present, I mean, they're going to a big church, probably with a nice building with all kinds of programs. And they've got, I mean, they've got all kinds of wonderful things going on. I don't think those people really care if 10,000 people are listening to them online or one, because they're already a part of a big church. But in a small church, I think that can be encouraging because small churches start thinking small. They're just like, well, we're never going to be anything. We're never going to do anything, but at least we have a place to go to church. And I, I don't like that mentality. But right now, nobody seems to agree on exactly how to count the numbers. Number two, there is no consistency in how digital attendance is counted and total attendance in different churches. I'm looking at the data from one church right now where the digital attendance and in-person attendance are added together without visibility uh, to the two distinctively different pieces of data. I looked at the data from another church yesterday that keeps the two metrics separate all the time. So some churches will just merge the two numbers and say, we had this many people in attendance and others will separate it. Again, nobody really knows what, what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Number three, most churches can't answer their why question of counting digital attendance. When I ask church leaders why they count digital attendance, I often don't get a clear response. In contrast, counting in-person attendance helps the church know uh, ch helps the church know building usage data, whether to add or combine worship services, and basic issues like how many people will be served communion or the Lord's supper. So, in other words, you can see why some people may want to count in-person services, right? Because you're trying to determine uh, how's the you know. Do we, need to, do we need more services, less services? You're trying to figure all of those things out. But why are you counting digital numbers? Why? Why? Well, I can think of two. I've already given one. One, again, I think you want your church to realize that your, your, your job is to do more than you, you, want, you want to reach as many people as possible with equipping people, teaching people, challenging people, and, and that here's what, that this church's ministry is expanding beyond these walls, and we need to have a more 
uh, we need to have a perspective that goes beyond these walls. You're trying to show them that you're doing more than what is currently present in front of them to encourage them and to see that. I, I think that I think that is one major reason you you would count the numbers and and share the numbers. I think a second. I think a second reason you would do so. So the first reason is more for encouragement. I think a second reason is to encourage the people present to support what you're doing, right? I mean, hey, guys, look at how many people are listening to us. Well, then support what we're doing. Support it, you know, and you're giving and and you're participating. Participate. Uh, I think a lot of churches that have big online ministries, you would be shocked by some churches that have very successful online ministries, how many people of that church don't actually participate in what the church does online? I, I know it even from a small church because I, I can I can walk in and start saying things and I'll look and I'll see the expressions. I'm like, oh, they don't have any clue what we've done this week. They don't even know which Bible study exercise we did this week. And so sometimes you have to just try to remind them, you know, hey, there are things going on here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Even when you're not here, there's there's broadcasts going on. There's Bible studies. So in some cases, you're trying to give people those numbers to help them remember, hey, there's something else going on here during the week. Right. So I think one, to to encourage and two, for support and participation, right? But it's just, it's interesting that some people don't even know why they're counting it. Number four, most churches don't have a plan for their digital services. It is primarily for those who are physically unable to, is it primarily for those who are just physically unable to attend? Is it a mission opportunity that requires a plan to reach those digital attendees? Is it just like an in-person service and purpose and scope? Because most leaders don't have a plan for their digital service, the counting of the attendees has little purpose. So many don't even really have a plan. And I've said that so many times. So many, like they have these online ministries and like, what are you doing? Like, what's your, what's your, what are you trying to do? And it's like, well, we just put our sermons online. Okay, what's your, what's your plan? Just, is your sermon just there so that people who miss can listen? Now, I, I think some pastors would be shocked. <laughs> to find out that a lot of people who miss, they don't go back and listen. A lot of people, members of your church, when they miss, they don't go. So now, some cases, if you if you've got a good, depending on your or on what platform you're on, you may have good data. Like Spreaker really breaks things down. So I know, like I know within hours. Like if I if I if I preach say Sunday morning. And let's say there's half the church is missing, right? Okay. Well, I know where everyone, I know the, the areas everyone live, right? Abilene, Texas, Tuscola, Texas. Okay. I know the general area everyone lives. So by Monday or Tuesday, I can just go and it will show me exactly Abilene. It will show me the town. It shows me the device. It even shows me if the people listening were male or female, right? I get that. That's how specific it breaks down the numbers. So sometimes by Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, I'll be like, well, nobody in my church went back and listened to the sermon they missed. None. And I'll be like, but 14,000 listened to it in this state and this state. And, it's, and sometimes you can be like, whoa. So you, I think if, if the only reason you have a digital ministry is to simply make your sermons available for people who miss, you're going to find out really quick that a lot of times the people who miss don't go back to listen. That's just, that's just the hard reality. That's just the hard reality. And so some just kind of throw their sermons on there. So that's all you're going to do. Like you've got this whole 
technology, right? You can go live, you can do Bible studies, you can do commentary, you can do devotionals, and, and many just like, I'll just put my sermons online. And in many cases, the pastors have very little to do with it, right? Like, they have a team. I'll preach, you guys put the sermons online. Online, right? And so I, I know of someone who does this for, a, 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 that's their job for a big church. They kind of, they're responsible for the digital media, and uh, he, his, he, he created, me and him talked, and I gave him different tips on how to get sermons online. And I noticed one time when they kind of started getting their podcasts online, I was like, you, you realize your sermons are just dated by the date. It's just like March the 2nd, 2022. And I'm like, that's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, if people are on, online searching for deity of Christ, Trinity, Sabbath, you know, sin, hell, Satan, demons, whatever. They're not going to find any of the sermons because they would have to be putting in March the 2nd, 2022 sermon. I mean, like, and, and he's like, well, the, the, they don't, they won't really give me a title for the sermons. And I'm like, what in the world? Make up a title for crying out loud. If you're there listening to the sermon, you give it a title. Because if you don't give it a title, nobody's going to find it. So why are they even putting the sermons online? And basically their idea was, well, if people miss they can hear it. I'm like, that's that's no plan. That's no concept or idea. I, I still don't know why some churches even have online ministries. I don't know what they're doing. They don't seem, they don't see it as like, oh, we could do all of this. There's no vision, no plan. So this di- digital church thing is kind of there, but I, I don't think many really have any plan or structure or idea or creativity they just kind of, I don't know, we'll just throw some stuff online and I'm not going to really worry about it. I'm like, well, you do realize, now now go back to the attendance, there's a whole group of people out there who are the de-churched. They're not coming back to church. Do you just give up on them or how do we reach them? Well, we reach them digitally. There's a lot of people who are now the digital and are the inactive digitals. What are we going to, how are we going to get them active? I think you're going to have to do more than just posting a sermon online once a week. You've got to give them more. I think you've got to do something else. You've got to, you got to find a way to get them involved. You've got to get them something to participate in. That's one of the reasons we do the Bible study exercise. Here, participate. Here's curriculum. Here's this. Here's this. Almost using the small group idea. But doing so where you're actually digging into the Bible, not just, you know, sitting around drinking a latte, you know, talking about the weather, you actually getting people, you know, into scripture. But some that there's no strategy, there's no plan. Uh, next, uh, some churches are counting digital attendance to compensate for the in-person losses during the pandemic. A few pastors have shared with me that they count digital attendance to keep their congregation from getting discouraged. Many of them lost 20 to 50% of in-person attendance. I want you to hear that. Some of these churches lost 20 to 50% of their in-person services. They just they lost half of their congregation in some cases. Counting digital attendees let the congregation know that they're still connecting with people outside. Well, I, I, I definitely understand that. It's, it's trying to encourage. I, and I, I think that is important. Here's what I would say about all of these issues. All right. 
The redefining of Christianity we've talked about, we've got to define Christianity biblically, and we've got to stand for that, and we've got to, we've got to remove all of the hijacking and infiltration of Christianity from political ideology, cultural wars, and all of that other nonsense. We've got to get back to what the faith is. When it comes to attendance, now I know what I'm going to say is going to sound spiritual. I know it's not very practical, but in, in one way, you can't, you've got to do everything you can not to become so worried about the attendance. I know you have to worry about the attendance when you've got, a, you know, a, a church payment, a building payment to make, and you've got bills. I understand that. But in some cases, that leads to compromise. All you can do is just preach and teach, preach and teach, pre- uh, preach and teach. Now, be creative and letting everyone know about the preaching and teaching out there. But sometimes you, all you can do is, is just, you can't allow the, you can't allow the lack of attendance to lead to compromise and discouragement. That's easy to say. It's hard to do. I can get very discouraged on some nights going, man, okay, so who's going to be back on Sunday night? Okay, we, wait, what? Where is everybody? Okay, you, you, you sometimes can hear my frustration on a Sunday morning going, wait, what, what, wait, who, wait, where is everybody? But um, you, all you can do is try to press on, right? And in digital church, here's what I think we need to, to, to understand. There are people out there who are looking for spiritual truth, who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are dying for spiritual food and nourishment, for doctrine, for theology, for church history. I say use every technological tool that we have to get as much teaching out there as possible. Commentary, teaching, everything we can. And I don't, I'm not going to necessarily call it digital church. You just do everything you can to get the the content out to as many people as possible in every way possible using And everything available to you. I think it's just a part of the Great Commission idea. Now, I know it raises questions. Well, do we consider them a part of the church? Are they not part of the church? I understand it raises issues, but I think it's important that we just use every tool available to us. Now, there's there's far more I want to say here. I I definitely wanted to read all of the articles under this, all the comments under this article about digital church attendance. Oh, it's some interesting stuff and people talking about how they lost most of their church and how they're doing it. Some are even allowing the digital attendees to vote on church matters. It's some really crazy things happening right now, but I'll just leave those three things before you. Now, I think it's interesting hearing pastors talk about these three things, redefining, the redefining of Christianity attendance in digital church, I think it's very interesting to hear pastors talk about it versus the average church person, the average church member, the average digital attender, or whomever or whatever. I think they have very different perspectives. I think right now, pastors need to listen to people and hear how people are, how people are thinking right now about church, about church attendance, how they are thinking. I know this, wherever they are, whether they're in front of me or whether they're you know, sitting on the side of the road in Georgia, like yesterday, someone who was listening pulled over to the side of the road in Georgia, wherever they may be listening, my job is to minister to them to, in every way possibly that I can. That if, if, they, if they need me to do some teaching, grab a microphone and teach. If they need me to answer a theological question, grab the microphone and answer it. Teach, 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 teach. Put as much content out there to spiritually feed them, challenge them, and get them into the Word of God. No matter where they are, present or not present, front of me, not in front of me, digital or physical. That's, I, I think, 
it's just focus on using every opportunity that you have. Um, and we'll have to let all of these new concepts play themselves out. But I'd love to get your thoughts on all of this. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. What do you think this means about where we are and where do you think we're headed? Almost every statistic I see seems to indicate that physical presence, physical attendance is going to continue to decline. That's going to mean bigger churches are going to become smaller churches. Some smaller churches are going to cease to exist. A lot of, but those people who don't come back, I want to make sure we don't forget this. Many of those people who don't come back to the physical church, whatever you may want to say about them, you may say it's a sin, it's wrong. We could have all kinds of discussions about that. They're still out there and they still need to be ministered to. What are we going to do to minister to them? I don't know. I I just just thought I would throw this out there on this Saturday afternoon. Let me know what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And uh, those on the Discord channel, feel free to share your thoughts. I definitely will be interested to hear everyone's thoughts on the Discord channel because their perspective will be radically different than mine. I may be looking at this more from a pastoral perspective. They're looking at it more from a church member's or just digital digital attendees' perspective. And it'll be interesting to hear their, their, their thinking is probably going to be radically different than the ministry side. And I think this is where ministers are going to have to listen to the people. They're going to have to listen to the people. And I think sometimes the people don't want to say really what they feel. I think some people don't want to say, you know what? I just don't feel like going back. I, and and because, but they may they may feel that they don't sound spiritual. I think that there's going to have to be some honest, blunt answers here. But we, I mean, you know, it's it's yeah. There's a lot more we could say. I'll just stop right there. All right, I'll be back on the air probably here shortly. Everyone, uh, it'll probably be a little bit of a delay. But uh, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening, and I can't wait to get everyone's feedback. God bless. <laughs>